0: This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we really have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and one of the things that I am completely obsessed with, besides binge-watching some of my favorite television shows, is binge reading, especially summer reading and book club reading. I'm actually in a supper club, and one of the things that we do is we talk about books. So today, we have a book that is definitely book club ready. It's in a novel about friendship, family, forgiveness, and ladies, the dress that brings them all together. The author is Wendy Wax. The book is my ex-best friend's wedding. And Wendy, who lives here in Atlanta and has for the last 20 or so years, is our guest on Perspectives. Thanks, Wendy, for coming in. So glad to meet you.
1: Thank you. Great to meet you and to be here.
0: (laughs) I'm laughing at you because you brought your notes and some things to jog your memory about this particular book because you've already moved on to the next best thing. Can you give us a sneak peek as to what's coming?
1: Well, uh, so I tend to write Interwoven journeys of self-discovery, people figuring out who they are, what they're made of, uh, and especially the bonds of friendship that get us through the really tough times. So and and I have I write female protagonists almost exclusively. Uh, so Who runs yes. the world? Yes, exactly right. So so definitely multiple female protagonists in this story. You know, the, the challenge is always how you bring them together, who they are, and all that. And actually I've been sort of keeping normally you write a novel. And the title comes way at the end. You know, like you really don't know what that's going to be. But right now I started with a title. Uh, It's actually called The Breakup Book Club. Ooh. Yeah. So now I'm, you know, getting it together, figuring out who these characters really are and what their journeys are going to be. The AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution,
0: about my ex-best friend's wedding says, You write with a breezy wit and keen insight into family relations. So what's the story that we have here in front of us?
1: Okay, uh, this story, actually I wanted to tell you too, it was inspired by a wedding dress that's actually been in my family for generations. Okay. There was a picture of my Aunt Lois in that dress, a portrait actually that hung above my grandmother's bed my entire life, her entire life, all of that. And I have to say I didn't realize what an impact it had on me but I started writing a new novel and I, you know, I knew where it would be said. I knew certain things about the characters. And all of a sudden in the prologue, there was this dress that had been in their family all this time. And so that was really what got the the story started. Uh, it's an important thread all the way throughout. And actually, my, that, my Aunt Lois, who I was very close to, died this March. And um, the book is now dedicated to her. And there is a picture of her in the dress, in the dedication in the front. So everybody will... Have a chance to see what it looks like.
0: And we'll be able to connect just a little bit for the audience about you, Wendy. You are a former broadcaster, so don't let me forget we're going to talk about that. Okay. You're the author of 13 novels, including One Good Thing, Sunshine Beach, A Week at the Lake, While We Were Watching, Downton Abbey, which you just mentioned, The House on Mermaid Point, Ocean Beach, and then of course, as we just mentioned, Ten Beach Road. You're a mom. Your sons are all grown up. You're a suburban mom. Well,
1: no, and- actually, we've moved in into town. ITP. We oh, are you are now, now ITP. Yeah, people. about two and a half years ago, we moved into a high-rise, uh, actually in Buckhead. And so you are truly an empty nester. Living, yes, we living are. your next life—it's awesome. I have to say, it is really, really. I mean, yeah, look, I miss the boys, and you know, it's great when we're together. But it's—it is a whole new journey, definitely. So now, you guys relocated to Atlanta about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. What brought you here? Uh, really, opportunity. I would say we—we. We, I grew up on Saint Pete Beach, which is on the west coast of Florida. In fact, Ten Beach Road is set on that on Paso Grille, the very southernmost tip. It's that part that sticks out into the Gulf of Mexico on the west coast in the middle of the state. So, you know, I grew up in that place, uh, married, someone from very far away. We had children. And uh, it's a great, it's a resort town. It's a beautiful place. The beaches are wonderful. But it's not the easiest place to make a living, you know, unless you're in a family business or in certain industries. So we just picked up and came here. And uh, I'm so glad we did. Really changed everything. In fact, I sold my first book not long after we moved here. So, that was a good thing. Absolutely. Atlanta is a very special place. So, in a former life,
0: because this is, you know, your next career. You were telling me before we began that you worked in broadcasting.
1: What did you do? Yeah, uh, I went to work at a PBS affiliate in Tampa right out of college. I was a writer, producer, and on-camera talent. I also did freelance talent work. I was the Voice of the public's teller machine. I was the very first voice, so if I'd gotten a penny for every time someone took out money, I would be a very wealthy woman today. And just writing books for fun. Yeah, there you go. I was a voice of Home Shopping Network in the early days, and my claim to fame during that time was hosting a live radio show on Friday nights called Desperate and Dateless, which was entirely appropriate because I was both of those things at that time. Okay, you got you can't leave us hanging there. A little bit of the premise of that radio show. So it was it was a dating matchmaking show and I was live on the air. So it was a radio form of Tinder, I guess? Yes, way or before those... that ever existed. But I was on four hours on Friday nights. It was meant to be entertainment, but I have to tell you, when you talk to that many people who are actually lonely, it's kind of intense. The idea would be the woman would call in at that time. This is before this is how old I am. Before, you know, before cell all phones, of that technology, before everything yes, else, made everything. online dating. But basically, the woman would call in, and we'd talk on the air and chit-chat and all that. And if someone was interested, they would call in. And at that point, if they would talk, I put them on the air together, they would talk to each other, I would egg them on. And if they decided to make a match, then at that point, the woman would be given the number. It would be up to her whether or not, you know, to, to pursue that. But at one point, I actually got several phone calls from people who got married and won from their honeymoon. I, I thought they might have found something better to do than call the show at that <laughs> point in time. But it was, it was fun. You know, it was really, it was kind of intense, but it was, it was good. It was, it was a really neat experience. And it was live, which was a whole other thing at that time for me. So, so before Match
0: and all of the other... Back in the day. ...online dating yeah. services, we listened to the radio for Dating and Desperate.
1: Yeah, it was. Desperate and Dateless. Yes. Desperate and Dateless. D&D. But the irony of all of that was while I was doing that show, I was still single. My poor mother um, despaired of me ever getting married. In fact, she used to say, what do you think? You're going to be walking down the street and you're just going to meet somebody? And I was in New York. I was on a trip up there doing business. I used to rep a director cameraman at a certain point also. And uh, I actually met the person I married on the carry bus leaving JFK. Single ladies, see there, there is
0: still (laughs) hope. He may come, ring your doorbell. You never know. You may meet him walking
1: down the street. So you took all of these life experiences, and is that what turned you into a novelist? You know, I was a journalism major. I had always, you know, I wrote for television and radio and commercial projects. So I had always written, but I had never actually attempted fiction, although I am like virtually every writer you will ever meet. A voracious reader. I mean, you know, you don't become a writer unless you are first a reader. And uh, I was actually at home with a two-year-old and a newborn when I first decided to try to write a novel. Not the best timing in the world. I sort of chalked that up to post-pregnancy hormones and lack of sleep, because really, I had no idea really what I was doing or why. I, I just needed something creative for myself. I think that did not involve changing diapers or, you know, all of the things you do with with tiny, tiny people. And so I started writing. And because of the age, their age, it took me years, you know, to finish that first book. But I did do it. I did manage to sell it, which, you know, I found out later was fairly unusual. And it was actually a story about a woman who leaves a PBS affiliate in Tampa, where she's a writer, producer, and on-camera talent, to do a show called Desperate and Dateless. It was, you know, like almost all first books, almost completely autobiographical, like, Except for all the really great sex that I wrote. (laughs) I I totally made that up. So that was my first novel. And uh, after that, I wrote romantic comedies for Random House uh, books with stories like, uh, with titles like Seven Days and Seven Nights, Single in Suburbia, and my all time favorite title, which was Leave It to Cleavage. And I thank you for letting me say that because it is my favorite title ever. It was a story about a jilted housewife and former Miss Rhododendron. Must Save the Family Bra Business and the Town It Supports. (laughs) I know. I'll let you think about that one. That's, uh, yeah, that's probably the best sentence I've ever written in my entire life. That is a great sentence. Yes. I sold that book off of that one line. And, And it is what is referred to as a high concept idea um not high brown necessarily but you know high concept in the sense that you high can bra take, is what you're yes saying. yeah you know you exactly right then you can take you know the a whole idea a movie a book or whatever and condense it into a sentence that everyone understands and and knows basically what to expect well so, i say
0: if you can't write your idea on the back of a business
1: card you have not
0: completely refined that idea. well you card. know
1: what you're that is so right but it is so hard i would almost rather write I, my novels are about 110,000 words, somewhere in there. I would rather write an entire novel than a synopsis or try to get that line or the pitch going. I mean, it's really hard. Yeah, to drill down into an idea that someone's going to go, yes, right, can yeah. be difficult. And you can tell when you're watching someone's eyes. They either light up or they don't. So there you go. It's, uh, yeah. So when you can do nothing
0: but write, how long does it take for you to push out a novel?
1: Um, well, push is an interesting term, and you probably noticed in this book there are two writer characters. Uh, I really got to dish about the business, by the way, which um, felt very cathartic and very good because, you know, creativity is one thing. The things that lead us to write a novel are one thing. The business itself is entirely different, quite brutal and uh, And now I've already forgotten the question. so what do you remember what the question was? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, uh, the question was: When you sit down to write a uh, novel,
0: because unlike the very first one where you had a forever, newborn and a toddler at home right. and it took forever to get it right. done, and yet it, you published it, when you're completely focused on writing, once you've got the
1: concept and the idea, how long does it take you to come up with all well, the words? Well, the flip answer is however much time you have. But and for me, in reality, it has typically been you know nine months, maybe ten, from you know conception to. Know to being able to deliver Uh, for the last decade. I have actually written a novel a year. Um, I'm actually taking a bit of a longer break this time just because I need to and because of life and all of those things. But typically, that's about the length of time involved. And what I learned when the kids were really small, and especially I started writing full time when once they went to kindergarten and school and that sort of thing. But what I learned was I had to sit down as soon as they. We're gone for the day because as soon as the bus came, you know, I needed to. There do went it. mommy's time. Right. Well, you know, that was the thing. It wasn't like, you know, I didn't get to go somewhere and not come back until 6 o'clock or whatever. This was, I had a certain period of time and I learned to do that. And so still today, it's, it's a daily thing, um, you know, and it's a job. It becomes what happens is, you know, you pursue it because of the creative thing. But once you sign a contract and you are expected to deliver a book, you know, how you go about it and the fact that you can't just wait for total inspiration, you know that might never happen. So what I've learned to do is sit down and work and approach the page on a daily basis. I have two longtime critique partners and you know our you know man- mantra basically is you know you can fix anything except a blank page. So the point is as long as you put something down, you're going to go back and fix it. There'll be something there to work from. And you just keep moving. So that's what I've learned is to put it on the page and to try and let go of the perfectionism that so many of us have enough to make it exist. And then I know I'm going to fix it and make it better. Because no one does or no one should ever publish a first draft, a first anything. That just doesn't happen. And certainly in traditional publishing, I'm with Penguin Random House. I mean, you don't. That doesn't happen.
0: And of course not. No. How difficult was it for you to make that transition from being a journalist or someone who wrote for media to being a fiction writer? I've talked to many authors, and it's a very different style and
1: approach. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that has impacted me the most from my former career is I was a journalist, um, and I care that things are correct, so... I mean, I've read lots of authors and big authors, you know, who say, "I it's fiction. I just make it up. You know, don't worry about it. I, I personally believe it's important to get as much right as you can. Yes, we are making things up for a living, which is kind of cool, really. So there's a lot that is, I mean, it's not necessarily true, but it's important to me that it be possible or plausible. And if I'm writing specifics, I want to know that I've got it right. So... So there, there's a lot of research, even in things that are contemporary, that people think, oh, you know, that, what does that take? But I have researched all kinds of things, you know. I mean, leave it to cleavage. I had to research the bra business and where they were manufactured. And I toured a, a facility, and I found out that everything had gone offshore, and I had to deal with that for the story. It's So every, every book creates new things that you need to learn and understand in order to be able to write it in a believable way. In fact, the Ten Beach Road novels, ironically— So those all ended up having – it's a story about these three women who lose everything in a Ponzi scheme. It was obviously Bernie Madoff. I could not stop reading and thinking about that, what he'd done, what everyone had lost. And so these three strangers wake up one day, discover they've lost everything in a Ponzi scheme, three very different people. One of them actually lived in East Cobb in my former home. So – but they they when all the dust settles, all they have left is shared ownership of this dilapidated beachfront mansion on the tip of Grille. I put it in a place I knew. They go there thinking they'll have something to sell, and it's it's this great 1920s Mediterranean revival, revival style home, but it's in such horrible shape they can't sell it. Spent a long sweat soaked summer having to bring it back to life. And that was when I realized I was going to have to understand how you would actually renovate a house like that. And that was problematic. And in, in my family, we aren't allowed to own tools because we require medical attention after we use them. So huge research. I mean, everyone I knew who'd ever held a hammer, an interior designer I knew, I mean, everyone I could find, you know, was was helping me through that. And I've learned enough to get it really right on the page. I, I don't try anything personally, but but that was the thing. you know, you had this great idea. You really want to do or write. I could envision the house. I was all excited about these characters. And then for me, because I'm not a big planner, I kind of go with my gut, I realize then you realize what you have to know. And then that whole process begins. So I think to go back to your question, I think for me, because it mattered to me always about getting things right and understanding what I was sharing and all of that, it matters to me that I do that for each book. On the other hand, I am just sort of making stuff up for a living. So, you know, you embellish and you make up people you might never know or meet. That sort of thing. So it's a nice combination. Actually. And It makes it all the more interesting. All the more interesting. So, uh, in this in this
0: book, my ex best friend's wedding. We've got a couple of writers and a dress. Tell us the story. What do we know?
1: Well, okay. so see if I can make this. It's not going to be as short as that one sentence, but basically um, Lauren and Bree are the main characters. They meet in kindergarten on the Outer Banks, discover they were born on the same day, which, you know, in their minds pretty much makes them sisters. Absolutely. And uh, Lauren's mother, Kendra, is also a very important part of the story as well. Uh, you know, they share more than a dr- uh, more than a birthday. They fall in love with words from the time they learn to read. They they both become voracious readers. They start making up stories, plotting a novel together as they get older. And they share this dream of one day going to New York uh, together and becoming, you know, quote unquote, famous authors. Uh, but when that day comes, uh, Brie backs out at the last moment. Unexpectedly, she decides to stay there. She ends up marrying Lauren's ex-boyfriend in the dress that belonged in Lauren's family wedding dress for generations. She buys the bookstore she worked in all through high school and college. She tries to build a family that she's never had, and um, she starts writing a novel of her own. Lauren gets on that bus and goes to New York. She's the one who achieves their dream. Um, she, her first published novel is based on an idea they plotted together. And so, of course, the friendship is over. And the story actually begins in the days leading up to their 40th birthday. On their 40th, Brie is in a marriage that hasn't really delivered on its happily ever after. She's raising two children. She's running the bookstore. And she's trying to finish a novel that everyone knows she's been working on for 15 years. Lauren is the now the Queen of Beach, reads, um, you know, on her 40th birthday, she receives an unexpected marriage proposal that sends her back to the Outer Banks, her former best friend, and the wedding dress she never thought she'd get to wear. And it's while she's trying on the dress, as they call it, that she discovers that everything her mother told her about their past, their family, everything is a greater fiction than anything she's ever written. So, that is, is the story itself. It's set in New York City um, and also on the Outer Banks, which is a phenomenal place that I got to go research. I had never been there before. Uh, just a beautiful place with really interesting people. So it's set in both of those locations. And again, it's, it's a journey, it's friendship. It's um, it is forgiveness, you know, it's also Uh, breaking the code. Yes, yes, yes. And I think, too, it was my opportunity to really share what it is to be a published writer today. You know, as one of the characters says, I feel very lucky to do this. But as this character says, you know, most of a writer's life is spent alone, unwashed, and on deadline. (laughs) So it is not the glamorous profession that people think it is. It's fun to get to talk about it, but the reality of it is a lot of time by yourself in front of a computer trying to create something from nothing.
0: One of the things that you've done with this book and with many of your books is for the book club readers – you actually wrap everything up with discussion points to get the group started at the end. Tell me about your decision to do that, or was that something suggested by your publishers? Well, you
1: know that actually is something that um, publishing houses started. I, I don't remember exactly when it started taking place, but probably I'll, with Oprah and the book club. Well, it was it was a mar- it was a marketing thing in the beginning. You know, it was something that set a book apart, that made book clubs feel this was a good choice for them to read. Uh, that was actually also when trade paperback became a size um, that was marketed to book clubs. A lot of things, as un- unsexy as it sounds sometimes, a lot of things that happen in publishing exist to get you to want to pick up the book you know the author is responsible for hopefully holding, creating h- holding you, yes. something you really want to read but what makes you pick up that book in the first place i mean you know that we all say oh you can't judge a book by its cover but of course we do every single day so a lot of the things that the publisher brings are of course hugely important and their job it's marketing and to get you to want to pick this up so you know my job is to hopefully deliver something you're going to really love and not be able to put down but, but discussion questions, honestly, I don't mean to spoil the whatever, but I think initially was very much a decision – Book clubs will like this, you know. If we do this, it gives them, you know, because before that, we all just made up our own questions. In fact, I I hear from readers, um, you know, through my site and everything all the time. Like my earliest books, Leave It to Cleavage and Single in Suburbia, the romantic comedies, you know, they didn't come with that. Not that they're they could have exi- they could have had questions, they did not. And I I hear from people all the time like, oh, I really want my book club to read this book. But there are no discussion questions. Can you give me some? And I'm, you know, I was like, you know, I think you could just do that yourself. And actually, it might be more fun, you know. So yeah, it's evolved in a different way. But what is it that you're hoping readers take away from this particular story? Well, I think it's almost the same thing that I always hope. I, I, I am just a huge fan of women in general. I think we are the strongest beings on the planet. And I think that if we're lucky, we have those kinds of friends that, you know, that we can turn to and rely on when everything falls apart for us and that we are that kind of person for others. It's something I'm I'm drawn to writing about repeatedly. So I think just seeing that journey and what strength lies in us when often we don't realize that it's there or we hope that it's there, but you know, we don't necessarily know that until we're put to the test. And that interests me. So you know, I th- I hope they're going to find, um, you know, that feeling of friendship and what it means to have those bonds. That is what I write about. And, and I will say this, too. This particular book was also inspired by a friendship that was lost. Uh, that was a really painful thing. And there are quite a few things in this book, frankly, that that were things with this friend that I remembered as I was writing. Uh, and I know that changes, too. You know, friends who are close at one point don't necessarily stay that way for life. I'm always so excited when I meet women who, you know, they've had this friend since elementary school or, you know, since they were small children and they've shared a whole lifetime together. I think I don't have a lot of that. And I think maybe that's why I'm drawn to writing about it. I would like more. I mean, I I do treasure the female friends I have right now, but... um, more would be even better.
0: Absolutely. How do you interact with your readers? How are folks able to connect with you once they've picked up my ex-best friend's wedding or any of your other novels?
1: Well, you know, I'm active on social media, so I'm on Facebook and Instagram and um, Twitter. I have a a website, authorwendywax.com. I will just warn you, if you don't put in the author first, you will get a Wendy Wax who writes children's books. Um, even firefighters go to the potty was her most, you know, well-known one. It's not me. So, uh, but yeah, I have a website, social media. I hope that people will come join me and communicate everything through my site does ultimately reach me and I do respond. So, you know, I, I'd love to hear what you think. I hope people will give my, if they haven't read me already, certainly hope they'll give one of my books a try. The book is My Ex-Best Friend's Wedding. It is a novel. The
0: author is Wendy Wack. She is as I said earlier, the USA today best-selling author of The 10 Beach Road series of novels. Wendy, we'll see you again next year when you'll have okay. a new story to tell us about.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, MyAndalusCondo29, on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective.